Tandem Nomads, episode 228. Well, what I would like to share today is something that might sound a bit controversial. I want to say exploit yourself. If you really want to get going and get your business off the ground, you can't just do one thing one way and that's it. You know, you have to spin it another way. So spin it is one thing I would say. Another thing I really believe in is you've got to be flexible. You can't stick to one path. And um, the last thing I'd like to say is be sure of why you're doing something. Hello, Nomad Nation. Welcome to Tandem Nomads, the podcast show and entrepreneurship platform where you can find great inspiration and tips to grow a successful portable business and thrive in your global nomadic life. Nomad Nation, today we have a very special guest is Joe Parfit. Joe, are you ready for this ride? Oh, absolutely, Emil. I am so excited to have you here. Nomad Nation, Joe was on Tandem Nomads podcast, one of the first guests over five years ago. It was episode 36 and time has been flying so much and Joe has been amazing to keep watching on her journey and grow and she has so much wisdom to share. Joe, you've been, before I introduce your bio, I I really consider you as one of those pioneers in the field of portable businesses in in career in your suitcase with the book that you started. You were one of the first ones to talk about this Mm -hmm. topic, and I'm really honored to have you here again on the show. So Nomad Nation, let me just tell you a little bit more about who is Joe. Joe has been an expat, a writer, and a teacher for over 30 years. And she has written 32 books and mentored over 300 new authors. She runs Summertime Publishing, specializing in books by and for living overseas, and runs writer's circles and workshops. In 2020, she launched a writing program inspired by Live Story Jar to help people write and persevere their precious story and also share their precious stories. Joe, what a journey since the last time you've been on Tandem Nomads, and I can't wait to see what has changed for you since. But do you remember a little bit of where you were five years ago and how do you compare it to now? Well, five years ago, I must have been living in Malaysia. So I've come Mm -hmm. a long way since then. So I was living in Malaysia and um, my career was going okay, but it was it had been a lot, lot slower from being in Malaysia, funnily enough. And then I got back to the Netherlands from whence we had left before we went to Malaysia, uh, which was now four years ago. And things just got busier and busier and busier. And now I have to say that thanks to the pandemic, and I shouldn't say thanks to the pandemic, but because of that, my business has now become bigger and more diverse than ever. And uh, so I have come a long way since back then in Malaysia. Then I was I was teaching, but everything I did was live. And now, my goodness, the world's upside down. What a crazy time. And I remember you were in transition. Actually, you were just going to move to Malaysia, I think, before that interview. So Nomad Nation, I will put the link of that episode in the show notes of this episode. If you're interested to look at the retrospective journey but Uh you talked about something important like you said we shouldn't say thanks to the pandemic I understand and that's true it's been so difficult for so many people but also as we say and I don't know if you heard the podcast Joe but my my motto is turning challenges into opportunities and definitely for many it has been a chance especially for global Mm -hmm. nomads to turn their Mm -hmm. career challenges into more opportunities Mm -hmm. 
because everybody's online now. So you've been offering circles. Um, so can you tell more about those circles? What were they about on top of the publishing business that you have? Oh, my goodness. You know, since um, so when the pandemic started and we all got, went into lockdown, I realized that as a writer and as a writer's mentor and author's mentor, everything I did was so isolating. And if I didn't have the opportunity to do anything live in person, which I was running a writer's circle, I've run one everywhere I've lived in the world, which is Dubai, Oman, Norway, the Netherlands, Malaysia, Brunei, England, I have run one everywhere. And so that had gone. So my point of contact with humans had, okay, I had my clients, but with on a, on the, on a, a teaching basis had gone. And I also used to teach write your life stories, how to write articles, how to write books and various other things from my home and anywhere anyone would have me in the world. And that had gone. Mm. And so um, I was asked, I think some, one, of, one of my students or contacts asked me if I'd consider running a writer's circle. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. So I'd never used Zoom before. I'd never done I hadn't, I had, I've done plenty of teaching, but I had never used Zoom as a platform. So I had a very, very steep learning curve. And that writer's circle is still going a year later. And it has been absolutely incredible. And the what it has shown me is the gift of Zoom is that whereas before I would have taught live to people in that location, my first writer's circle has got somebody in South Korea, somebody in Penang, um, some people in England and France and Switzerland and more places, Isle of Man, and they're all over the world. And so I got braver and I thought, okay, I'm going to start a thing called Speed Write Live, which I run once a month for one hour and it's free of charge and anyone can join that. It's on a Thursday at 4 p.m. UK time. And I just decided to do that. And then I thought, hmm, maybe I could do another writer's circle. And then I thought, Maybe I could teach people how to write books in a classroom situation. Um, and so I started how to write a how-to program. And then I thought, okay, that one works. Now I'll try how to write a memoir. And I started a program for that. Then I took my Write Your Life Stories with Spice course online. I ran some of my life story jar classes online. And now I have created myself a whole new business that is so big. I have now had to take on more freelancers to help me with the publishing side of things. This is amazing. It's just been amazing. And, you know, I remember one of the things about the episode where we discussed many years ago, you were talking about what you've learned from your journey. You started early on. I remember when we talked about portable businesses and you were making this metaphor of there was no laptop. It was it was a big deal mm. to just transport your computer writing machine in the airplane oh, oh. <laughs> to get it to the next oh. country so time have amazingly changed from you trying to get your computer i think it was in abu dhabi or dubai or i don't remember dubai. where in dubai and and now having all your circles online and just realizing the power of it uh, but one of the things uh i remember that you also talked about is how you learned 
how you've been through a burnout at some point and you learn how mm-hmm. to manage yourself. And, and so I'm curious to know, you know, I think that's the one question that every entrepreneur, the million dollar question, I would say of that balance between quality of life and still going, being innovative, trying new things, trying new ideas. So how do you now continue? I see your, you seem to me very happy and very uh-huh. flamboyant right now and very fulfilled with what you're doing on top of the impact you're doing for people. So how are you now finding that balance between, okay, I want to, I want to push my business. I want to do new things. I want to be creative and still leaving the space for you to not get to that place. Hmm. All right. Well, I have to be honest here. Um, I've done very badly. Okay. Tell us more. <laughs> I, I, because of the pandemic and moving my business online and having nothing else to do, apart from move country and move house three times, um, apart from that, um, I worked and worked and worked and worked. And before the pandemic, I knew my limits. I had, because my burnout was 2011. And so the pandemic was a year ago. So we're talking nine years. And I, before that, I'd got my balance right. I was seeing friends. I was going out for lunch. I was going out for coffee. I was going to the cinema. I was going for walks. And I was doing Pilates. And I had got a much better work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And the work-life balance has completely and utterly gone out of the window. And I knew I was a bit too busy uh, just about a month ago because I realized I couldn't couldn't stop so I'd sit down for dinner I'd finish my plate of food and even though my husband was still eating I'd be getting up and clearing up my plate which I would never normally have done and I realized I was starting I call it buzz Mm. (laughs) I was starting to buzz and I was starting to find it absolutely impossible to sit down and do nothing I had I was scrolling through my phone endlessly I was watching my hours going up and up and up on my phone And I was thinking, this is just not good. This is not good. Anyway, I knew I needed a holiday. So I went away to a cottage with no Wi-Fi. Mm. And while I was in that cottage with no Wi-Fi, the first thing I did in the morning was read my book instead of scrolling through my phone. Mm -hmm. And the next thing I did, because the cottage also didn't have a shower, is I had a bath. And I lay in the bath and I looked out of the window and there was a tree on the other side of the window. And I would lie in the bath for 20 minutes. And... After a couple of days, a poem came to me in the bath. The next day, a book came to me in the bath. And I thought, right, Joanna, this has got to change. You've got to go back to being who you are. So I came back off that break uh, of not terribly long ago, two weeks ago. And I just, I am putting so many things in place to get that balance back. But one thing that has helped my business grow, apart from the fact I've been working like a headless chicken, is that um, I've taken on more freelancers. Mm -hmm. And one of those freelancers is um, our son, Joshua, who who is a trained journalist and is doing a lot of the digital media stuff for us and the marketing. He specializes in blogging and SEO, and he's taken over part of my business the bit I was doing excessively badly and he's now started to do my marketing and interestingly when I spoke to you last time Amel I really was summertime publishing but a huge change has come come along since then in that I now am joeparfit.com Mm. summertime publishing is still there but I have a business manager in I think that's happened in this in these five years too business manager Jack Scott is in charge of running summertime publishing and springtime books I'm responsible for a smaller portion of the business I'm responsible for um 
for mentoring and assessment and um, getting all the clients in and all the initial consultancy. But we now have other people who do the other bits. And um, so because Josh is doing my marketing, that has set me so much freer of all the bits that I hated, frankly. And he's also does editing for me and has taken as learning to be a mentor. And our other son, Sam, is also editing for us. And I have only this week trialed somebody to take over the editing of poetry that we get in. I have also in the last few months found somebody to take over the editing of the memoir who actually is the editor for one of the most successful fiction writers in the world. And so I've I've just started to grow the team like that so that I can do less. And only only this weekend I had a coaching session myself with a specialist coach to help me get that balance back in my life. This is amazing. I love that you're sharing that so openness with us. Thank you, Joe. And you know, what you're telling me here makes me think one of the biggest difference that I think I want to talk more about in the podcast of Tan Nomads is the difference between working in your business versus working on your business. You know? <laughs> and that's the whole difference when we start becoming entrepreneurs versus freelancers versus people who actually trade their time against money. Uh, it's when we start um, looking at how to scale beyond our own time because we also need that quality, right? So when the business starts growing, I do think that it, at some point it is time to delegate as you're doing, but I find sometimes seeing with my clients, that moment is very difficult to, when is the right time to start delegating? And there's two parts I want to discuss with you. There's mm-hmm. first the mindset part and then the more pragmatic part of that part of mm-hmm. First, I think before even looking at the pragmatic parts of how to delegate and find the right people, I was wondering if you had experienced any resistance to letting go. You've been on your business, working in your business for so long and making, it's your babies. (laughs) You have more than one business. It's your babies. So how difficult was it for you to let go and trust other people to just take it and run with it? It was incredibly difficult, which is why I had that burnout. But it was because I had that burnout that I had no choice. If I didn't delegate, I would I would let everybody down. Mm. So I I started to, that was when I started to delegate to Jane, who became an editor for us for very many years, and Jack, who ended up taking over all the admin. He's now my business manager, but back then he just took over the admin. And it was because I had absolutely no choice. But it was very interesting because this coaching session that I've just had made me see that I was, uh, even though I have got much better at delegating lots and lots of things, letting go of the control is phenomenally difficult. And I told a story about a client I've got at the moment who I had put nothing in the budget for my involvement. I had passed it all over to somebody else. And... Right now, I have actually looked at that person's work six times. Mm-hmm. So I have not charged anything for it. So I've tried to let go of the control, but I haven't let go of the control. I just didn't charge her. So I thought, no, I've just got to, this mm-hmm. is stupid. I've still, I've still, so I still have to work on myself. I'm, it is really hard. And the coach I was talking to at the, at the weekend just said, it's your ego in the way. You've got to let go. You've just got to yeah. let go. So I'm working very, very hard at, how I can let go in a way that will make me think I'm not letting anybody mm-hmm. down 
and I think I'm just I'm coming up with it. It's because I want to touch everybody's work, and I still will touch everybody's work. But I've got to touch their work in a way that means I'm not getting my red pen out right. so much. Right. I so resonate with you, Joe. I've been there. I've been growing my team and I still sometimes like feel my, see myself like har having a hard time letting go and giving up control and having the feeling that we need to be there and, and check everything. And I'm so lucky to have a great team that, that I can trust. Right. But, but, uh, I think it's a, what it shows me the more I talk to you and to other ones of our peers and other entrepreneurs, I just, teaches me how this is a journey like it's not a destination it's a journey where we get to learn and the more we try to improve our businesses we're actually trying to grow as people as well our yeah yeah it's we are and it's hard and for me I've, I've always been the person who's done it all mm -hmm. so it is very hard but I've realized that I have to delegate when I start delegating to somebody I have to accept they are not going to be as good as me right and I have to allow I have to plug into the, the budgeting or whatever that I will have to help that person quite a lot. And then slowly I can, I can distance myself more and more. And I have to accept that somebody is not going to be perfect first time, mm -hmm. but it's up to me to teach them. So luckily right. teaching is something I'm good at. I'm good at. So I have to teach and I have to mentor the freelancers too. And I have to remember to budget for it. That's so the hard true. bit, remembering to budget for it. Yeah. So nomination, we, we can't give like practical here tips about how to delegate and, and how to let go. As you can see, it's a journey and it starts with committing to it and committing to be able to do it with all these small strategies that you just shared, Joe. But is there any specific thing that really worked for you so that you could really grow your team? The one thing you really want to recommend people to do so that they can start delegating early on to not be in a place where they yeah. actually burn out? Okay, well, I've done something that you don't know if you're even going to approve of it, but this is what <laughs> I do. Is, I, is my ego again, probably, is I give people the opportunity to work for me for nothing. <laughs> Did you notice the words I used? <laughs> I want to know more about that. Tell me more. <laughs> well, for example, but it's not, it's not me being greedy. For example, I have a friend who has a son who's just graduated in English from mm. Cambridge. He's a clever kid. And he, he's looking for his first job. Yeah. So I thought, well, I could help him, but I could use him. So I asked him to intern for me. And he was absolutely thrilled because interning for a publishing company is a wonderful opportunity. Mm -hmm. And he has been transcribing all my in-conversation masterclasses and turning them into fantastic reports. And so I, for after three months of working for me for nothing, with me helping him to get it right and get his voice right, because, you know, he was, he'd got a very academic voice and he had to learn to dumb it down and it had to be, it was for a different sort of audience. It was expats who aren't going to understand, not, not want really highfalutin language and complicated construction. So I had to teach him. And now I say, no, I'll pay you for them. So I got him for fee for three months and he earned, he, he proved himself. And now I'm paying him. And now we've even just hired him to help with a migrating a website job, my, migrating my website but, and putting all the SEO in. And, and in this, this time, Josh mentored him to get him through to that. So we're helping him to get all these skills to help him moving forward, which is fantastic. So that was one thing. Um, and then, for example, if I want to start working with someone who might um, freelance for me as an editor, I ask them to do a test job. And it's a real job. 
Mm. And I say, I want to, I'll test you on this and I'm not going to pay you because I have to keep checking it. I have to do this job too. So the first job you're going to have to do for free. But I make it short. I mean, I, I wouldn't give somebody a hundred thousand word book. I might give yeah. them something that's that's very short, or just give them one chapter. And we have, to, and I. So I'm sacrificing. I'm sacrificing or risking my time, right. and they're risking theirs. And then if it, if it works, then I'll put them on the payroll. Well, it's not on the payroll. Everybody's freelance, but that's what I do. They have to work for me for free first. Yeah, I agree with you. And you were saying I wouldn't improve. Actually, I do think it's a great strategy. And I always say to my clients, you have to choose. There's two strategies. The first one is you spend time training people. And for that, then you would just try to have people either cheaply agree, either that they are on a training, if they're pretty young, or you pay them a small amount and then you increase the salary or the payment yeah. uh, as they go. The other strategy is that you have capital and then you want to save time. Then you want to hire the right people so that you don't even have to train them. But then you'll have to pay the, what it costs, right? So it's 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 like everything in life. It's either time or money. You kind of have to make that decision for sure. Joe, I will always remember, I've seen you speak so many times at our families and global transitions, uh-huh. but I always remember the impact you had on me when you were talking about the, the story, the story jar, actually, could you explain it real quick for those who um, might not have heard any of it? Oh, right. Well, the life story jar is a concept I came up with that, um, If you can think of a piece of Japanese art, the kintsugi, where a piece of beautiful porcelain has been broken and then glued back together with golden glue. I took that as a metaphor for our lives and each of the stories being one of the pieces. And each of those those pieces of the puzzle make us who we are. So we are made up of our stories. And um, it is, I believe that the golden glue that is holding the jar back together is a metaphor for the sharing of those stories. And so what the Life Story Jar program is, which is actually changing its name slightly, I'm afraid, ML, it's mm. becoming Write Your Life Stories with the Life Story Jar program, mm-hmm. because I also run Write Your Life Stories with Spice. Mm. Um, and they're two, diff- two totally different things. Um, but the idea is that but in sharing, you share them with the page or you share them verbally, but you need to share them. Because we have to, we can't keep everything all on the inside. Our stories make us who we are. And when we move around the world, we can only really connect at a deep level with other people if we share our stories. So it's about the life story jar is about digging out those stories and then getting them down on paper and preserving them, them not for publication in the out for money. No, the life story jar is all about writing as legacy and to preserve your stories for your family. So it's not about being a brilliant writer. It's about getting those stories out. And that's very different from a lot of the other stuff I do because I think all the other courses I teach, the writing is always gearing towards, could this become a blog? Could it become a a review? Could it become a book? Could it become an article? What could it be? And, but the life story jar is for anybody. Mm-hmm. And that program I've run, I ran it as an online course for a year. It is now available as a 12 week course that you can, you can download. And if you go to lifestoryjar.com, you can download a free taster session and you can have a go and see if it's what you like. Um, and it, it will, 
still, the more free I can become from some of my other responsibilities, it will become an online program. But the other thing I'm doing now moving forward with my business, which is very exciting, and it's only just happened this week, is I am now actively looking for people to run my courses for me in other parts of the world. Right. I love because it. Because I've talked in my, my quote that I mentioned earlier, it's about spinning it and exploiting yourself. If I've written these courses, then the courses should become a book. The courses should become a course that I run. And now the courses should become a course that somebody else can run. Right. I love so that. that I can get a, a license fee and they're not going to be expensive, but I'm just about to sign up my first person to run them in Australia. So I'm very excited about that because my courses work. I have done them many, many times. And the only stipulation for somebody who wants to teach them is they have got to have been on it and therefore be approved by me because I know that they can do it. Yeah. And there's sometimes I underestimate how our lives are just so unique from each other and so special where we mm. could actually by sharing them impact other people as well. We tend, especially, I don't know if it's something about expats, we tend to shy away from sharing our stories because we don't want to mm. uh, kind of come off like we're showing off or we're boring people with our stories. Right. So I, I, mm. I remember that I've been keeping my stories to myself my whole life and it's only like, a, and I've been told many times you should write a book, but the moment Ooh. when I'm like, oh, I need to commit to this is when I heard you say how we are responsible for sharing our stories for sure. And Ooh. you're right. It is a legacy that we're leaving for others. Uh -huh. But I was wondering, actually, you were talking about moving on. And this is something as well interesting in the journey of entrepreneurship that I find. I have a lot of clients who are worried to get stuck in one area of their business or at some point to get bored or, and I'm always saying, just start and then you'll see where it leads you. It's not because you pick a lane that you're going to have to do that your whole life. You can transition and your business transitions with you. And I see it with myself as well. Um, it's not written in stone and it's not because it's business that it cannot morph. I was wondering what has helped you yeah, the, your business few years ago compared to today is so different and even more since the pandemic. But what has helped you have a little bit of stability along the line and still there's still a, I would say, a red line among across everything that you've done. Yeah. Well, there what is would a that red. be? Well, it's all about writing. Mm -hmm. It's all about writing and it's all you, it's always been about my motto, which is sharing what I know to help others to grow. And I can do that with mentoring. I can do it with teaching live. I can do it with one-to-one -one consultancy. I can do it with writer's circles. I can do it in so many different ways. But my motto isn't um, close editing other people's books. for <laughs> And that's what I seem to have been forgetting. And other people who love that can do it. And I can do it. I can do it. But I know that I am better placed and happier at the higher level. Yeah. So that's basically what we call the difference between your zone of expertise versus your zone of genius, right? Do, are you familiar with no, this? No, I don't. But that's absolutely right. My zone and I that's my ego again but yeah it is the zone of genius is where I want to be because that's the thing that I have that other people don't necessarily have because I somehow seem to have this skill to to look at somebody's idea 
on one piece of paper and immediately be able to see where it could go and what the permutations might be or to hear about somebody's idea and to have a gazillion ideas of what you could do to make that come true so I can do that big picture is where I am yeah. And I, ha I have to remember that myself. I should probably write it on the wall above my desk. <laughs> Let's Big do picture. that. S send me a picture, okay? <laughs> but you, you know, are. Joe, <laughs> you're making me think about something I want to share the audience and feel free to pitch in if you feel like you have a different opinion on this one. But when I watch your journey and listen to what you're saying, I think that like we all want to be at some point in our zone of genius, like doing something we love and being paid the fair price for it until we get the confidence to actually do that. That's another story. But, um, but I do think that it's a journey. And for us to find that zone of genius, it can take a while before we figure out, okay, where is that zone of genius? But for us to get there, <laughs> we need to start experimenting with our zone of expertise. And you wouldn't be able to be today where you are if you didn't start with the editing, with the stuff that you do well, but not necessarily want to do forever. I don't know if you have oh. any um, yeah. insight about that. Like when you look back at your journey and all the things you have done, um, is there something that you would do differently? Um, well, there are several things I would do differently. One thing is it wasn't until, it, this is really quite embarrassing, it was only two and a half years ago that, again, it was another coach, and this coach happened to be one of my clients, who said, I'm fed up with you not charging enough, mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to give you a free coaching session to help change your mindset, and he did. So yeah. I am very embarrassed that I really did not charge what I thought I was worth. And it was because I could not see the difference between the, 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 uh, the value economy and the time economy. Mm. I just couldn't see the difference. And I thought, well, you know, an hour is an hour. I can't charge, I can't charge so much an hour. And now I realize, no, actually, I've got 30 years experience in this. So I, I can charge that for it. And so that was that was something I wish I'd done differently. I wish I had learned my true value earlier right and um but one thing i am i think is that has been one of my strengths is that i don't mind screwing up and i i know i'm really good at starting things and i start many things that i don't do something else with further down the line i get terribly excited about the beginning of things and if it doesn't work it doesn't work I love this. This is so good. It's so important to not be afraid to fail. So important. Oh, Just start on. and there go. Other things do work. And I really believe that the things we're meant to do in life come to us fairly easily. Mm, I love and that. the things that we're not meant to do will usually be a struggle. So I think that I have a go. And if it if it works, fab. And if it doesn't work, no problem. But then I end up too busy. And that's what happens to me is that I do far too much, get too big. And I've got to bring the home things down again. And that, that's my big problem. But, you know, no, it, I definitely have tried to learn my value earlier. And I would have worked with a coach earlier. That's a good And tip. I would have delegated earlier. Yeah. And I would have um, learned how to delegate effectively mm -hmm. earlier. But... When you talk about the red thread, when I was at a, a school, my father, who was a teacher, told me not to be a teacher. He said, don't be a teacher. It's a mugs game. So I always had in my head, don't be a teacher. Don't be a teacher. Don't be a teacher. And now here I am because I was 60 <laughs> recently and I realized teaching is what I do best. Right. Sorry, but 
If it's in your blood, it's in your blood. And it's what I do best. And I have spent a hell of a long time being lots of other things, thinking, oh, I'm a speaker, I am a workshop presenter. Yeah, and what's that teaching? I'm a writer. What do I specialize in? How to. What is how to writing? Teaching. I love it. (laughs) And you know, there's one thing, uh, I don't know how to word what I'm trying to say here. Let me try. But there's one thing, it's one thing to say, don't be a teacher. It's another thing to say, don't teach. It's just like the, the, you see what I mean? (laughs) So I think it was more worried about the framework of of the transaction of the business model of the teacher business. It was like, I think that's what he was worried about. But the talent of teaching, we can live it in a different way. And it's funny, I love this part. I could go on on this one. But that's also something when I work with my clients who are like, I'm really good at this, but this is not what I want to do. And we talk a lot about reinvention. And I always say, you don't need to reinvent yourself you can recreate and once you know your skills really well and where you can make an impact, you can just reframe with your business model, with the format of how you're delivering that transformation and that special skill. It's just, you have to think outside the box sometimes that um, that skill, even if you're a doctor, for example, I have, for example, clients who are doctors and say, I can't do this on the move. Um, I say, but you can still use that special genius that you have in you to, to, to give it in a different way. We have the author of uh, Global Teens, Anisha. Anisha, we had that we had on the episode and she's in a great example of how she went from being a pediatrician oh, to know. impacting parents around the world thanks to her book from going from doctor to helping parents uh, yeah. help their kids through teenage time, through mm-hmm. drug addiction and other types mm-hmm. of issues that mm-hmm. teens have. Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. is a great um a great story. So I want to, uh, one more thing about value that you shared about being paid the right value. I can say one thing since I've increased my prices, I feel like I can give so much more without worrying that I'm not uh, putting my time in the right place. Like when you charge the right, uh, the right price, you're fully into it. Right. As I always yeah. say, fully into it yeah, and you can yeah. live your your job fully because you're not worried if oh, am I spending too much time on this when I'm not being paid the right price. So that's uh-huh. the other great insight that yeah. you shared. I would love to add one more question about your experience working with so many people, helping them write their books. What is the number one mistake you see people do when uh, when they want to consider or start writing their book? Um, well, I there's they make there are several mistakes. Um, one mistake is to write the whole book without getting getting any feedback hmm. early on, and I don't necessarily mean feedback from me. Um, it's it's hard enough writing to the end of a book, but writing it all in a vacuum, I think, is bonkers. I really think it's bonkers because you if you you could find out after ten pages whether you were being inconsistent, your voice was wrong, you're not, you aren't quite attracting a big enough market, you know, I just say get it right at the beginning and then finish it. I think, honestly, I think that's the biggest mistake. The other mistake I think people make, I'm sorry, I'm, you can't just have one. Go um, ahead, I love gotta it. Have more. You've got to have more. The other one is that you get a support team. Join a writer's circle, join something online, join, start one locally, get a support team before you start, practice your writing and find your voice. Because Anisha, who you were talking about earlier, she hadn't really done much of any writing. She'd got a brilliant story and a fantastic content for her book and such incredible authority. 
but she hadn't done much writing apart from academic writing. Mm -hmm. And it took her till she was about at chapter 10 to find her voice. So I would say try and find your voice before you start, because otherwise it can be like getting getting blood out of a stone as you or or wading through treacle, trying to find your voice and get the chapters done. But as soon as you settled into your voice, everything gets so much easier. And join a writer's circle. I run an open writer's circle, which is once a month, which anybody can join. But or come to Speed Write Live, which is absolutely free, and just start practicing and and settle into your voice. I honestly, two such important things. So get a support team, get feedback, and find your voice. This is so powerful, Nomad Nation. I hope you listen to this one. And if you want to see um, Joe's great resources, go to tandemnomads.com/slash two hundred twenty-eight. I will put all the links there so that you can find these resources. Joe, could you tell us? I know this could be a whole episode episode but what does it really mean find your voice and what does it take to find that voice um well the easiest thing to do is to think you should write how you speak but then edit it (laughs) that's a good one because the way you speak is it really is your voice but if you use something like otter you know that transcription program and then you look at what you speak what you say it's dreadful Mm. But it's the basis of who you are. So you find that's one way of finding your voice is, is that. But you find your voice by trying different styles. Mm. So you try and write some fiction. You try and write some poetry. You try and write some articles. And when people come on my writer circles, that's what we do. And you might not realize that you're a poet at heart. And if you're a poet at heart, you can write beautiful stuff. But until you try, you're not going to know it's something you can do. So. I honestly, Speed Write Live and and, um, Writer Circles are so helpful for just exploring different avenues because you might think you want to be a poet, but find that actually your voice is brilliant for articles or features articles. So you don't, you will not necessarily have uh, an excellent natural voice in every single genre. So you've got to try them out and see where, which one feels comfortable. I know that my voice is in poetry and let's call it columns, where it's a personal story. So that's very bloggy. That's my style. And that's where I don't need to even think in order to just get it down. That's where I am. My voice isn't isn't fiction. Mm. So so if I did, I understood well saying basically we find a voice by writing. Yeah, yes, funnily (laughs) enough. You find your voice by writing in different genres and getting feedback because you won't, you will probably think they're all crap. You'll either think that every single one, every single genre you try is crap or you'll think it's all brilliant. So you need somebody objective to to say to you, that is fantastic, that phrase. And if you, when you hear it from somebody else, you start to almost believe it. But all writers feel that they're frauds. All writers think that they're imposters. And so you do need to have endorsement from other people to start to think, yeah, you know, might be able to do this. Right. You know, I see so many parallel between the tips you're sharing about writing a book and the tips about running a business properly. Oh, but, oh, <laughs> and there's yeah. so it's so like um, a line. And even with creative industry, I had a client, for example, who was a painter and And ultimately, I was telling her the only way you will get to actually, it has nothing to do with marketing. The more you paint, 
the more you try painting, exploring your mm. art and your creativity, the more you will find your style that will help you position mm. yourself on the market. And it's the same, I guess, with, with yeah. books as well. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, Wonderful. Maybe. Well, we could continue this conversation for hours, Joe. I always love chatting with you. Um, is there any final word you want to share before we say goodbye? I would like to say that I do believe that being an entrepreneur is not for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, but I do believe that the key to it is uh, flexibility and you've got to have a sense of humor and not take things too seriously. And I would just like to say thank you very much, Amel. But I think I am phenomenally blessed. I've wanted to be a writer my whole life. I have been a whole writer my whole life. It might not sound like it from what I've said today, because you might think, oh, no, I help people write books. But no, writing is what's at my core. And I am so lucky. Oh, this is so good and so inspiring. You've been inspiring so many people, including me, Joe. So thank you so well, much for being part of uh, my journey as well. And um, and where's the best place to find you, Joe? JoeParfit.com. Simple as that. Go Fantastic. There. Wonderful. Nomad Nation, check out all the great resources of Joe. And I will put everything on the link of the show notes, tandemnomads.com slash 228. Joe, thanks again. It's been lovely. And Nomad Nation, I look forward to meeting you in the next episode. Stay tuned to turn your challenges into great opportunities.